Welcome to My Talk, the podcast series brought to you by ISS Market Intelligence. It is the new year already, so we kick it off with an updated mission statement for My Talk. Our focus will remain firmly on the global retail financial services marketplace and its many subsectors, be it asset management, wealth management, life insurance, banking, fintech, you name it. So if you're interested in those, you've come to the right place. Beyond reporting on the industry headlines, we are big believers in the power of the big frame. So our mandate will be to contextualize a lot of the new developments to surface their implications. And we will do all this with the assistance of industry experts and thought leaders um, in the global business that is the retail financial services marketplace. If you do enjoy this episode of my talk, please remember to subscribe to our podcast on your preferred podcast pl- platform to catch our monthly episodes. My name is Goshka Folda. I'm your host and global head of research at ISS Market Intelligence. Today's episode, um, we will shift our focus from the investment side of the business in North America that we have carried over the past several episodes to the deposit market in Canada. But of course, it is a um, connected topic because, of course, given the market um, and macroeconomic backdrop, there is um, uh, a give and take uh, in the business volumes between deposits and investment funds and investment strategies at large. So to help me consider this topic, I'm joined by Will Stevenson on our tar- Toronto team. Um, as an associate, uh, Will is um, already uh, has a very large research docket. He's responsible for our Canadian deposit, investment funds, retirement, wealth management research, is a key contributor to Investor Economics Household Balance Sheet Report, and um, it takes a look at the Canadian wealth and asset management industry from a multi-product and multi-channel perspective. Uh, he's got a master's degree in economics and one that is a lot newer than mine, uh, which is uh, three deca- decades old um, from the University of Toronto uh, in this um, uh, level two candidate in the CFA program. Welcome, Will. Thank you, Goshka. Thank you for having me today. Uh, so, well, let's uh, kind of start um, uh, at the top with uh, thinking about the state of the market in uh, the second and third quarter in Canada. Of course, um, we are we entered 2022 um, after um, um, what would what was all a record breaking year in terms of investment fund flows uh, in 2021 in Canada over 170 billion dollars and uh, but also building on uh, what I would say two incredibly productive deposit uh, building um, years in Canada I think if my count is correct about three 300, close to $330 billion uh, in new deposit flows, uh, mostly into the short term or the, the immediate um, uh, kind of uh, on-demand uh, deposit category. Uh, what have you been seeing uh, that is different in 2022 as the market conditions and the macroeconomic backdrop, backdrop changed? So, uh, yes, it, it was a, it was a, fantastic year in 2021 for investment fund flows. It, it wasn't, however, a, a down year for deposits. There was still, you know, of that 300 billion that you spoke of, about, about 100 billion of it was in 2021, not just in 2020, uh, which of, of course was that massive year for savings. Um, the, the way the market has changed this year is really entirely connected to interest rates and savings. Um, 
the, the I, I don't need to be the one to tell you that interest rate increases are, are, are a boon to, uh, to GIC sales. Um, and so coming off of that 2021 high in investment fund net flows of 174 billion, uh, the first half of 2022, uh, just to give the state of the market in Q2, was about 70 billion in GIC net flows, uh, whereas the investment fund sales industry was, was just over 10 billion, uh, a very slow year, uh, slow start to the year for investment funds. And, and since we have investment funds monthly, just, just as of October, we're actually down about 10 billion. So that's continued throughout the course of, uh, of the third and into this fourth quarter, the, the shift towards GICs. Uh, on the other side of the coin, though, that, uh, that 300 billion in demand deposits that was allocated, that started to flow out by the third quarter of this year. We've seen some allocations outside of demand deposits, some of it flowing into those GICs, um, some of it flowing into ETFs. There's still some sales there, uh, but also inflation uh, impacting consumer net savings, particularly at the low end of the market and uh, and declining against some of those uh, some of those checking account uh, balances that had been gathered or in some cases for low end clients actually not increased throughout the course of the past couple of years. When we took it of that uh, of that 300 billion in demand deposit allocation, there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of news articles at the time that suggested it may be CERB. It was some of these transfers, uh, the massive amount of government spending, and that certainly impacted Canadians financial lives. But when we look at the actual change in balances, about 70% was for the checking accounts was in balances over 10,000. About 70% for the savings accounts, those non-checkable balances were in accounts over 25,000. That's not your average household. That's typically towards the high end. And so when we look at the GIC sales this year as well, where are they selling? They're selling high tickets. Um, and that's, that's really the state of, of the market. It's moved towards even more so towards the high end. Than it was before. Yeah, that is a really great reflection. And I think that it links back to that um, uh, whole idea that we developed uh, through the pandemic that, uh, uh, you know, as Canadians, uh, we're not all in the same financial boat for sure. And, and clear, we continue to see that uh, kind of a real financial robustness at the at the higher end of the, the client spectrum, but not so necessarily at the at the lower end. So on that uh, topic, can you tell us a little bit, uh, I know you've done some really interesting work um, in understanding where the um, kind of where the where the the GICs are. And for those of us who are global listeners, that's um, our deposit certificates or uh, 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 guaranteed in, in interest uh, certificates. So our term deposits. Um, can you tell us a little bit um, uh, where where the money is coming from and how much of that is actually the restructuring of that uh, kind of uh, uh, checking savings, um, short term deposit book of business? And and the, uh, which channels are 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 being successful at capturing that flow and converting into a longer term deposit? For sure. So uh, I, I'd like to separate a little bit from the longer term deposit into the shorter term. So what's really seen a ton of success, and we in Canada do divide it into uh, into GICs, not uh, it's a contextualizing for the U.S. listeners the certificates of deposit. Um, the short term, and by that I mean the one-year deposit, is very successful within the full-service broker business, uh, which in Canada, the U.S. Uh, the U.S. equivalent would be the wirehouses, um, as well as the private banking. As I mentioned, the the very high-end nature of the demand deposit savings, 
what that did was push a lot of households um, into their, into the high net worth category. Um, a lot of every bank does it differently. Every wealth manager does it differently. But typically, a million dollars in investable assets, sometimes it's two, uh, will push you into a high net worth uh, kind of service offering. A lot of households joined that service offering. What that did was push a lot of banks to look at this influx into deposits and say, do these clients need more service? And that benefited the private banking channel. So a lot of the private banking uh, offers brought some of those demand deposits to within the relationship. Um, and for the first half of this year, those private banking channels that maybe have an investment counselor attached to that relationship or part of the overall wealth management offer, um, when the first half of this year came around, they op they operated similar to how the full service brokerages have traditionally done their business, which is look at where these savings can go. The savings may be higher than they ever have been, but they still looked at it from the same angle and where it went was GICs. So private wealth at the very high end has benefited a lot. Um, but that's not to say that the branch channels have necessarily lagged behind. The branch channels uh, booked, um, booked about out 25 billion in the first half of the year of that 70 billion. We're anticipating it's it's about 30 billion in the second half. Um, it's it's not gone down. The bonus rate offers are still high within those channels, and that's where a lot of the term extension opportunity is. Is uh, is those branch based clients? They typically like the three to five year. They're a little bit more longer term focused. They don't may not have as much money as the high net worth focused channels, um, but that's an opportunity. Uh, not just for, for the clients to capture a higher rate as rates begin to peak in, in, in the first quarter of this year, 2023, um, but also for the banks to try and keep these deposits on book to keep the funding available to them. Uh, and that's, and that's uh, a very big opportunity for very integrated uh, institutions. Where we haven't seen yet is, is in a lot of the e-banking platforms, despite offering very high rates, uh, just from a client segmentation perspective, their clients tend to be younger. They tend to not have as much money. Um, and they also tend to be very quick to move similar into the way that uh, online discount brokerage clients uh, operate their portfolios. If they're booking GICs, and they were certainly in the first half of this year, uh, almost 5 billion of those uh, of those GICs were in e-bank platforms. They were typically very short term. So rebooking is a priority, obviously, for those banks, but it has to happen a lot more often. So often that gives more opportunities for the client to leave and reallocate into investment. Uh, and we do anticipate that will happen faster for the online banks. Yeah, that is such a fascinating topic, uh, Will. And we'll circle back to the e-banks and the, the general outlook for that, because clearly around the world, um, we have seen some e-banks or neobanks um, uh, over time, um, actually become maybe physical footprint banks and make, uh, make, um, a bit of a, of a disruption to the, um, uh, balance of power in the banking, uh, industry in certain jurisdictions. So there is precedent, but it's been, I think if I'm reading right, you know, still, what is what is difficult and expensive is the, the client acquisition, but equally difficult is the client retention in those in those e-banks. So we'll circle back to that topic, but I want to maybe uh, pick your brain a little bit because this is, of course, on the top of minds of um, all of our clients listening in. Uh, you know, what what is the outlook that you have for the the, the upcoming RSP season? Again, for those of us, um, uh, those of you, our global listeners, um, the 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 front part of the year, the first um, 
90 days of the, uh, or no, sorry, 60 days. Uh, uh, Will you'll correct me? Is the the kind of the tax saving season in Canada? So a lot of volumes, a lot of allocations to savings um, uh, are happening in the first uh, 60 days of the year in Canada. So what is the and we call it the RSP registered uh, savings uh, retirement savings plan um, season. So what is the outlook for the RSP season? Will and uh, and uh, what what are your thoughts? Thoughts, uh, who is going to benefit from these uh, emerging trends in uh, deposits and uh, term um, term extension? Yes. Yeah, so, so as you said, the first ninety days of the year are very key for for sales within particularly advice channels, but also through the branches. That's just the traditional operation uh, of the Canadian retail financial uh, financial wealth market. Um, but the previous RSP season was actually surprisingly so much uh, in 2022 was actually fairly good for funds. There was still inflows going in. Uh, So what's important to note is that a lot of those particularly one year GIC products that were booked in say full service brokerage or private wealth, again, the high end clients, that really started to increase significantly in Q2. So those, those deposits are actually not up for renewal in many cases until after the RSP season is, is out. And uh, and with net savings rates where they are, the total new savings is relatively low. So it may just be a slow RSP season overall, in terms of in terms of just total flow of funds uh, around the marketplace. What we're looking at right now, though, is uh, is a potential plateauing of interest rates. That's the current communication we're hearing from uh, from central banks in terms of the policy rate is that uh, plateau is more likely than decline. Uh, and in that sense, um, fixed income from a fund sales perspective is increasingly attractive with uh, with rates uh, hitting a plateau. So some sales uh, opportunity within those funds as an alternative to GICs are there. Um, but also from the branch perspective for sort of the middle tier clients, uh, GICs are, are still anticipated to be booked. There was a lot of booking in 2022, uh, but for this year in 2023, um, there's still quite a bit of net savings uh, on demand deposit books that could be converted into GICs. And uh, a lot of rate offers, uh, we're already seeing some in the marketplace, but we're anticipating more. A lot of special rate offers for particularly registered GICs through the traditional branch system. Some of those are sold online specifically now, but they are attached to the branch systems. Uh, those kinds of special interest rate offers are, are expected to be relatively uh, relatively common, and we certainly would expect them to be relatively successful. Just thinking about the age profile of a, of a GIC holder, they tend to be quite old, 55 and older in many cases. The average age of some of the high net worth clients as well, it tends to be 65 plus. Uh, and so term extension for safety is certainly a priority. Trying to lock in these high rates um, may be more important than flexibility for some of these very, very much older and uh, and higher tier clients. Yeah, that is that is uh, kind of an interesting outlook, and and of course, uh, you know, we have to understand your client truly really be able to to uh, concoct a strategy for retention, because I would imagine that. When you're thinking about, and and I know you're in front of many um, uh, uh, of the banks and of every shape and size, and whether e-bank or or physical uh, physical banks, and and I know that you mentioned to me that uh, really job one is to retain all the volumes of deposits that have uh, ended up in the system. Um, and and try to kind of ensure that 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 leakage doesn't happen. Correct. 
Yes, that's certainly a priority, but only a priority to a certain extent. Um, at the end of the day, even if you have all these deposits on on your on your book, um, you don't want to have to pay too much for them. Uh, banking is a very simple industry. Uh, you have to you have to take money and lend money out. And with interest rates where they are and mortgage demand where it is, um, you don't want to end up paying too much for deposits that you're not going to end up using. So if uh, if there is some room for uh, interest rates to move up for retention and you still see the mortgage uh, volume coming in, uh, then that's certainly something you're willing to pay for. Um, but there are recycling between banks, I would say, in terms of these deposits from banks that maybe have too many deposits and don't need to pay uh, a premium in order to retain them into banks that do need uh, some of these deposits and are willing and able to uh, to, to pay a premium for this is, uh, is something we anticipate. There's a lot of room to move up in certain product categories in terms of interest rates still. Uh, similar in Canada, just to uh, give some context for US listeners, um, the kind of standard savings accounts rates in uh, in Canada have not risen at the pace that, uh, that the policy rates have risen. And there's some room to move up in terms of those accounts if that's the strategy for retention, whether that's bonus rate, whether that's their overall rate. Um, and, that, and that's a way to not have to pay maybe as much as you would be paying on, say, a long-term GIC. Uh, but there is, uh, there, there is an imperative to try and keep as many of these new deposits on, on book for the least amount of cost possible, certainly as there always is. Yes, well, and uh, I think this is a great segue actually to uh, to the thought about maybe just um, more general thoughts about uh, the direction of uh, savings uh, of um, a kind of product or or, or vehicle selection. Um, uh, your thoughts on the connected topic you mentioned mortgages and you know uh, a bank a bank business being a balance sheet business and on one end it's the deposit book of business on the other one on the other side is is um a household credit uh provision of those uh lines and uh, so give us your kind of uh, uh top line ideas on that are you seeing for example any significant movement on deleveraging by Canadian households, uh, you know, again, um, lots of uh, concern in the in the Canadian press. Um, actually, th- this is again a global theme in many developed uh, economies about the level of debt, uh, household uh, debt, uh, which remains high in the aftermath of um, a, a incredibly low interest rate for an incredibly long period of time, or, or easy money, if you will. So, what are your thoughts? Let's start with the with the topic of the leveraging and 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 potentially yes no um or or neutral so the potential for deleveraging i think is still there we haven't seen it just yet um if, if anything even as uh, demand deposits have, have started to trend down uh and i'll keep I'll, I'll keep some context here in terms of the overall market we are several months delayed in terms of aggregates on credits and deposits uh so this is again as of q3 or slightly past q3 uh, depending on the individual uh, individual series, but for household credits, n- unsecured credits, so credit cards, auto loans, those kinds of uh, not auto loans, uh, but credit cards, uh, those kinds of credit products uh, are still actually slightly on the rise, even as deposits start to cycle into GICs. Uh, we haven't seen a significant cycle of deleveraging, uh, and in my opinion, it's it's simply because unemployment remains low. Um, people are unwilling. Uh, or don't want to, at the end of the day, uh, move their savings into deleveraging, paying down principal if they're still employed. 
uh, they're thinking of it from a cash flow perspective. They're more willing to say, put their uh, put their Christmas spending on a credit card uh, and kind of wait it out. It, it is a waiting game in terms of uh, in terms of deleveraging. Uh, but with unemployment uh, into tw- the middle of 2023, it's it's expected by really everyone in the marketplace to go up at least slightly. That's when we start to see some effective would see some effective deleveraging or at least uh, the drawdown of some of these uh, some of these savings uh, savings products. Um, and that's when uh, that, that's when the retention argument for banks really kicks into gear is when uh, it is when the potential for both sides of the balance sheet to really shrink. Uh, that's when competitiveness uh, would start to certainly come on the rise in terms of uh, the overall balance sheet uh, balance sheet perspective. When we look at just uh, just the course of this year, uh, we we put together a single slide I think for almost every presentation on what the theme of the year is, and I think it was uh, fund sales in 2021. In 2022, it was about rising interest rates. In 2023, will all all be about retention and retention not just of deposits but also of loans yes well and the, this this topic of course so critical both because of the macroeconomic and and kind of market backdrop but also because of that kind of slowing savings pattern and uh, and the uh, and the just kind of a a, a general um, uh, uh, waiting for the other shoe to drop on on the unemployment again um, um, I think that you're we're seeing probably a moderation in that unemployment rate also related to the fact that that uh, the expectation at least in Canada of the immigration flows is 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 such that you know we're we've we've seen uh, the the um the retirement of the baby boomer generation throughout the pandemic and in 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 this year since that is kind of moderating the availability of the labor force uh in Canada so i think that that's probably going to be more of a soft landing but talking about generations of um investors and you alluded earlier to the older generation and um to the high net worth and the combination thereof but um, uh, clearly Generation Z, as well as millennials, but Generation Z, the big discovery, I would say, of the pandemic uh, years as uh, financial co- uh, consumers and investors as well. Um, uh, what is uh, What are your thoughts on kind of outlook of or were Gen Z households uh, in 2023, where their preferences and ideas uh, with respect to financial matters are going to land? Uh, so Generation Z is um, unique, and I'm slightly older than it, so so I'll speak speak from a from from perspective of someone who isn't in it. Um, but one of the stories that likes to be told is is often, you know, what kind of impacts do people have early in their financial life? And Generation Z is really the first generation in probably 40 years in Canada uh, to have an early working life inflation shock. Uh, there was, of course, the 1980s and the, and the 70s in Canada where interest rates were quite a bit higher. So, so Canadians who are retiring at the moment will have already experienced this. Uh, but quite, quite a few Canadians who are in their kind of peak earning years, uh, accumulating financial assets may have not had a massive financial, uh, financial shock from inflation. Uh, there was the housing downturn. So there's a little bit of housing sensitivity from that generation, but, uh, Generation Z price consciousness. And including price consciousness on the investing side, um, and an ability and a desire to switch to whatever is the, uh, the best price or the best offer out there, 
Um, all of this information has been online really for years, but it's increasingly accessible and it's increasingly accessible to a generation that is enabled to accept, access it. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's something where we see large account openings and, and anecdotally from younger clients for, say, checking accounts that are offering a large cash incentive. Um, uh, large account openings from discount brokers who are offering free trading. Uh, so price pressures from Generation Z is is uh, it's going to be a lot longer than just 2023. But that's that's a generation that uh, that that will be coming with a with a lot more sensitivity to price than say uh, their their older generation parents who maybe were more comfortable uh, working with uh, working working with an advisor and uh, were maybe less price sensitive when it came to that when it came to the security of having that advisor. Uh, than 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 Generation Z certainly will be. Um, thank you, Will. So I will not circle back to the topic of e-banks or neobanks because we are trying to keep our podcast uh, within the twenty to twenty-five minute uh, range. Um, uh, but uh, what I will do, Will, is I will uh, kindly ask you to circle back and and uh, uh, report back to us, and we'll talk about the the the, the e-banks at that time, maybe uh, kind of uh, midway through the RSP season in February, where we can start uh, to digest some of the early returns uh, in January and February, and see where we're going, and perhaps some of the macroeconomic clouds are also going to clear and. We're World, we'll have a better understanding where, where Bank of Canada and central banks um, globally are with respect to their interest um, rate cycle. So, um, uh, we'll thank you so much uh, for doing this. Uh, um, uh, very much enjoyed that. Um, and I think that you underscored the, the recent theme that we have been talking about is really how critical it is to um, uh, be able to take a fact-based data-driven look at your, at your customers, at your clients, at investors, at advisors, at distribution strategies, and how important it's to give good thought to, uh, to kind of understanding the trends uh, through the, uh, through the, the, the lens of, of uh, data-driven analysis, which is, of course, what we do at the market intelligence. Thank you, Will. Thank you for having me. And thank you. And that is a wrap for us in the opening uh, podcast of 2023. This will be an exciting year for us at M at my talk, as we will feature a growing and an increasingly global array of topics. Stay tuned for those. You can do so by subscribing to the podcast on your platform of choice. As always, I encourage you to uh, ping us with any ideas for topics or specific industry guests, guests that you would like for us to feature. And, uh, that is um, it for our January podcast. Thank you. And on behalf of ISS Market Intelligence, I wish you a very, very happy 2023. Thank you.